Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. Hello and how are you, E.C.? Good. How are you? Wondrous. We're returning to Quick Bites. Let's do Quick it. Quick Bites, for those folks who may be new, first of all, welcome, is uh, when you go through your list of questions that listeners, folks on social media have sent you, uh, really good questions, but perhaps questions that don't warrant a full episode in and of themselves. Uh, and we do about we do five questions in about five minutes each. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been doing something relatively recently where we're kind of themed quick bites. So you've collected some questions all within uh, the same rough theme. Mm-hmm. And this time around, we're going to do protein. We're going to focus mm-hmm. on pr- questions around protein. Before we get into the first one, I always like to ask, what's the best way for folks to get into or get a question into a future quick bites or a future episode in and of itself? Yeah. They sometimes do become that. Um, OptimizeMeNutrition.com slash email mm-hmm. is how you sign up for my newsletter. And then when you click reply to anything I send out, I get it in the queue for Quick Bites or for podcast episodes. Simple as that. Okay, so we're just going to jump right into it. As I said, we've got five questions. This first one is from Jordan. He says, or she says, I've seen great results with targeting one gram per pound of protein. How does that number work if someone is wanting to gain or lose weight, though? If I'm wanting to go from 140 pounds to 150 pounds, should I be targeting 150 from the start or increase protein as I gain weight? Same with losing weight. If I want to go from 140 to 130, which number should be my target grams? Yeah. Yeah, um, I first just want to re-highlight that my baseline recommendation is the 0.7 grams per pound. I know that some people will find success higher, uh, success higher than that, and so my recommended range ends up being 0.7 all the way up to one gram per pound. I will say that I don't think a lot of people need the one gram per pound, even if they want to gain muscle mass. Um, we find that the 0.7 is enough for non-professional trainees to maximize muscle mass growth, and I know I've said that before. But it's something I have to keep reiterating because people are consistently surprised that they don't need to be eating one gram per pound of body weight. And we just have to remember that, you know, more protein is just more calories at some point. And if you don't need all of that protein and many don't, you can free up those calories to use elsewhere. Now, it's totally fine that Jordan is there and find success there. I'm not trying to convince them to stray from that. Um, But I do like to kind of reiterate that when we're answering questions for the entire podcast Mm -hmm. audience. You know, some of it, why people end up higher is just preference. Um, Some of it, people do really have the muscle mass or volume or athletic capacity to necessitate that. But oftentimes we can be lower. Okay, I think I've hammered that enough. Jordan actually wants an answer to their question. So a couple of nuance points. The first is my recommendation is based off of your current weight because that's how the literature reports it. So when we say there's research on XYZ, it's almost always based on studies reporting on the person's current weight. So when I say, you know, 0.7, it should be of your current weight. Now, the truth is the protein intake is for the lean mass. And so that's why if someone is, you know, 25 pounds away from their target, then I suggest to use their target weight. So if they're like 200 pounds and they want to be 150, it's best to use the 150 to calculate their protein take. 
not only is it more realistic of what their body needs from a protein perspective, it's also going to be more realistic from a sustainability perspective. Just getting through all of that protein at the higher um, number will be difficult for a lot of people. Now, in the example that Jordan gave, there was only a 10 pound difference. And so in those cases, it doesn't really matter if you use your current or target weight for the most part, because we're really just talking about, you know, about seven grams of protein different, right? 10. Yeah. 10 times 0.7, we're talking about like seven grams of protein. And so once you were kind of within seven grams of protein every single day, if you're truly consistent, it's really not going to matter. You know, training and the rest of the diet are now going to become more important factors than, you know, choosing 140 or 150. So just pick either weight and be consistent there. Now, I did pick kind of 25 pounds away as a cutoff to then start choosing between current and target because that starts to be a large enough volume of protein. That's close to 20 grams of protein, which for a lot of people can be enough that it's almost like too much, you know, to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and so this generally works of, you know, you know, using your current weight. Um, if you're within 25 pounds, it, it works whether or not you want to gain weight or you want to lose weight for most people. The 10 pound differences of jumping up or jumping down is not going to really make or break it for most people. I think there is a small final wrinkle I want to touch on for people that are in that mass gain scenario. And it's really for the people in the mass gain scenario who are already relatively lean and relatively advanced athlete in terms of their general strength. You know, they can over double body weight back squat or something like that, then you definitely want to make sure that you're eating protein for that target weight, even if it's 10 pounds away. Because basically when you're at that advanced level, you really need to be in this caloric surplus to add muscle that you want to be looking at that total um, calories and all macros, not just the protein, but shooting for a slight surplus of protein grams will help you shoot for a slight surplus of calories as well. Most people just aren't that advanced to necessitate that level of precision. Got it. Okay. Ryan asks, uh, I'd love to hear your recommendations for someone who needs to consume a large portion of protein, given your 0.7 grams per pound of body weight recommendation. My figure would be about 150 grams of protein, which amounts to a fair amount of meat or cottage cheese or Greek yogurt. I find myself using protein powder as an easy way to get in some grams, but number one, gas, and number two, it doesn't leave me feeling very full. Yeah. So, you know, Ryan's targets this 150 grams per day, and that always makes me pause based on a 0.7 multiplier. Um, again, maybe this is not for Ryan, but when answering this question to a large audience, I do like to give a little bit of background, just like the last question. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure we all know at this point that I don't love absolutes, but when I hear 150 grams, that's sort of my high end range of the recommendation for what I consider kind of the average recreational athlete. And that in my opinion, when protein intakes are higher than 150 grams per day, when we're talking about that type of person, they just tend to be unsustainable. People can't keep up. So in some cases, I wonder if people aren't using the appropriate target weight that we just brought up in that last question. Mm. Because if we do the math kind of backwards, 150 grams per day of protein means that the current body weight is 215. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that 215 is too much total weight. It just isn't the average physique, right? It isn't the average body size. Um, now, of course, there are cases where this is entirely appropriate. They're going to be taller. They're going to be more muscular. So it's totally possible this is true for Ryan. But I just wanted to point that out for the audience that, again, if you're more than 25 pounds away from your 
goal weight. Use that to calculate your protein intake. Okay, let's get to what he wanted. Um, basically, using protein powder um, is easier to reach this 150 grams, as he mentioned, but then he has some gas and it just doesn't feel as filling. So let's talk about why he might have gas. You know, I hear this one a lot. Um, I hear this one a lot, especially about whey protein, but it really could be from any type of protein powders. The first reason why it could happen, and this is specific to whey, is potentially because of the lactose that it contains. Mm -hmm. So whey is the protein in the milk, lactose is the sugar in the milk, and yes, whey protein is supposed to be just the protein, but there is of course some lactose remaining, and this is why there is some carbs and whey protein products. Now, whey concentrate, that's a, one of the ways that you'll get whey protein powder, tends to have more lactose than whey isolate. So there's been more processing with the whey isolate. So that could be the first step, especially if you're using whey protein. Do I have whey isolate? If I don't, maybe I'm going to try that. The second issue why you might be having this um, gas with protein powders is simply due to the additives. So sometimes things like sugar alcohols, similar to like what you might find in sugar-free gums, they're used for sweeteners in protein powders. And sugar alcohols, that's the P in FODMAP, which is fermentable, oligo, dye, monosaccharides, and polyols. And so they're these naturally occurring but poorly absorbed short-chain carbohydrates. And the fermentable aspect means that your microbiota is what's breaking them down and producing gas. And so you might find that there's some of these sugar-free alcohol, um, sugar alcohols in your protein powder, like mannitol and sorbitol and xylitol and yep. so on. Yep. Um, look at the label for those. Again, I'm not concerned about them from like, you know, developing some chronic disease or some of the stuff that you hear on social media. It's more just that you might from a digestive point of view, might end up having more gas. And there's also, of course, other additives besides sugar alcohols. There's things like um, inulin, which is a which is a naturally occurring uh, fiber source. It also tastes very sweet. And then, of course, if your protein powders are actually from plant sources, it might not be additives. It might just be the increased fiber and, let's say, a mm. bean <laughs> protein powder that is resulting in gas. One more thing that's interesting, I that I don't think we've talked about yet related to this topic is um, going back to the proteins found in the product. This would be specific to casein. So not whey protein, but maybe you're using a casein protein. People have probably heard about or seen in the stores this variation between A1 and A2 milk. Mm -hmm. Those are referring to different types of casein proteins where A1 proteins tend to have more digestive symptoms associated with them. So that could be it too. Now he mentioned cottage cheese and didn't say that there were issues. So I would first consider maybe it's the additives or if he's using a plant-based protein, maybe it's just kind of the overall um, fiber in it before thinking, you know, it's the whey or it's the casein. Okay. Now for the comment where he says that he finds that protein powders are less filling Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's really no way around that. It's a processed food, so it's going to be less filling. Um, it's definitely probably one of the healthiest processed foods out there because we don't really seem to overeat it, but it is processed. It's taking the water weight out, so it's not going to stay in the stomach as long. It's not going to take as long to break down, and so you just won't feel more as full. And so there's your answer. If you, if you don't feel as full and you want to feel more full, then you're going to have to um, 
eat food. I do think with a target of 150 grams a day, you really shouldn't need more than one shake a day though. Like this shouldn't be that I need to do all these shakes all day to, to get there. I, I think you can do it even on all whole foods to be perfectly honest, although shakes can make it a little bit easier. So it shouldn't be something like you're starving all day because the entire day has just been, you know, three protein shakes or something like that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Next question is from Ethan. Uh, what do you think about Tom Brady's protein consumption? Yeah. Uh, and then I think he linked to an article that um, I have not read. Okay. So Tom yeah. Brady's protein consumption. Do you have an opinion yeah. on this? I do. <laughs> I do. Because what's the um, context first? Yeah. Yeah. I need to basically say what the article said of his yeah. diet. Um, but before I get into some of those details. I, I liked this question and I wanted to touch on it because I think it, for me, it really hammers the concept of looking at the end result first and, and letting that be the guide versus, you know, looking at maybe his protein percent and then comparing it to PubMed or, mm -hmm. or, or something like that. Because I think we all know, regardless of what team you've cheered for in the past, that Tom Brady has proven himself to be kind of at the pinnacle, mm -hmm. we could say, of football. And he did it for quite a long time. And so if we are thinking about, you know, is Tom, protein, Tom Brady's protein consumption right for him, especially from the angle of optimizing performance, I think the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, this article could tell me all he eats is wheat bread. And assuming his, foot, his goal is football greatness, I, I wouldn't have anything to say besides keep it up. You know, what's there to improve when you're winning all the time right now if i had a, a recreational athlete you know uh, maybe a high school football and they really want to progress and they don't have a lot of muscle mass and they're not making the team and they tell me that their diet's all wheat bread i'd probably suggest something different right but when somebody's at the very top of their sport you, you kind of have to just accept the fact they've already proven their method for them at least Right. And I know the wheat bread is a really silly and extreme example. Um, obviously, at some point, we're going to have nutrient deficiencies. But I, I think I'm just trying to hammer the point of like, I'm, I'm not going to try to optimize something that's already optimal, regardless of what it is. He could tell me some really wacky things. And I'd be like, I think you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. So even without opening the article, if somebody would ask me, like, what do you think about Tom Brady's protein consumption? It's like, well, he had the physique. He wasn't wasting away. He wasn't too weak to keep up. He had quite a long, successful career. I think it's great. Okay. Mm -hmm. But let's take a look at the, from a nutritional point of view, from like a general population recommendations. I think it's called the TB12 diet. I think there's a book out for it. I have not read it. So again, I don't know all the details. From what I see online, it's largely a plant-based diet. The articles say that it's like 80% plant-based. That percentages are always murky. What does that mean? Is it based off calories? Is it based off food volume? But whatever, largely plant-based. And then this is from Forbes.com that it's, you know, organic fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains and legumes should make up about 80% of the diet. And then grass-fed organic meat and hormone and antibiotic-free poultry should make up the remaining 20% of the diet along with wild-caught fish and seafood. Um, and then there's all these other rules that are typical of these, quote, clean diets, like no vegetable or seed oils and no soy and no GMOs and, and on and on. So from a protein perspective, I think this could be fine. You know, again, even from like a gen pop, you know, scientific evidence point of view, because when I look at my 0.7 grams per pound multiplier, this ends up being about 20% of calories from protein. And so mm. this could be right there. It's basically saying 80% of the diet's all this other stuff. And then 20% of the diet is, is the meat, right? So it's going to potentially be pretty close to 20% of the calories 
he's getting it from fish and poultry that's going to have enough of the complete amino acids. So I'm, I'm not worried about there. You could potentially argue overall about his diet. This isn't about protein, but you could potentially argue that maybe his diet's a little bit low carb, like he's, you know, never eating kind of any grains or any sort of volume of that. Um, maybe theoretically, I think for Tom Brady, the results speak for himself, but from a football perspective, the quarterback isn't the one who's doing all the repeated sprints as much, right? So we don't necessarily need as much carbs as let's say, you know, a running back or, or something like that, a tight end. So I think his diet is great. And I think the other thing that's really interesting for him, especially, and I, and for the gen pop, I can see a lot of people will improve for all the reasons that we've said more whole foods than not, but some of the rules aren't necessary. I think the other thing that I want to highlight about, um, a high level athlete is there's also a mental aspect to their diet. I am sure that Tom Brady believes that diet what eating was eating the cleanest, the purest and the best for him. And so you can't discount what he also believes the diet is doing for him. Because again, at that level, we are concerned about the 1%, that if his belief of the diet is the strongest, that also probably has some payoff that is beneficial as well. Even if you could argue that maybe he should have higher protein based on some article, it's like, well, maybe that's that's not going to be in the same amount of gain that we get from his belief in the diet of doing that. I like that that was a mini diet review and that one of the few diet reviews where you're like, yeah, that's good, is Tom Brady's diet. I, just, I don't know why, hey, but I find great pleasure in that. <laughs> hey, if it's for Tom Brady, I don't have, I don't have much. And that's how that was phrased. What do I think about Tom Brady's protein yep. consumption? If I it was, what do I think about Tom Brady's diet for everyone? <laughs> different. Okay. Slightly different. <laughs> got two more questions. This one's from Kelly. She says, uh, I have a question about so-called naked carbs, quote unquote, mm -hmm. naked carbs, meaning that carbs should always be paired with protein to lessen the insulin spike. For example, never eat a banana alone, but it's okay with peanut butter. I understood uh, insulin spikes because that's what insulin does. And the problem is with when insulin is constantly high. But what about combining foods to lessen the spike? I don't know why yeah. I, I'm working very hard not to laugh at this. I don't know why. Maybe because naked, the word naked's in there and I'm a child. Naked carbs. Yeah, maybe that's it. Naked carbs. Yeah, I don't know that I had totally seen it that phrase that way either. Um, yeah, we've certainly talked about the rise and fall of insulin and that's not what to be focusing on. And that's in the continuous glucose monitoring podcast, which will be in the show notes. Um, but yeah, the short explanation there for in general for the audience is that, yeah, insulin is supposed to go up and down as Kelly notes. And that's why we can't just freak out about them individually. It's a storage hormone. So it has to go up to store the energy that's coming in. That's as we want to think about, like I eat insulin has to go up. That's normal. Um, it's this notion of minimizing insulin spikes at all costs in social media land that kind of misses the greater context. It's too much spiking when you are eating, when your eating exceeds your needs mm -hmm. and therefore your storage capacity, that, that's really the problem. It's not that spiking or even spiking high when you're eating the amount you need is the problem. And I, I think what also gets confusing here is we have to remember we're not talking about this on a per meal basis. When I say eating for your needs, I mean across days, weeks, and months. And I think that's what gets very confusing is that people try to start focusing on just breakfast. And it's like, no, 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 I want to know across all of the weeks and months, are you eating more than you need? And this generally, we can often tell this by weight. You know, if somebody's gaining weight, they're eating more than they need and vice versa. That's not foolproof, but that that's a pretty good one. 
But I do want to touch on, you know, we have talked about this, but I do want to touch on this notion that protein minimizes insulin spikes. And it doesn't. Protein is actually, actually insulinogenic, meaning it causes insulin to rise. Mm-hmm. And so said another way, like even though meat and eggs don't have carbs to increase blood sugar, they can still cause insulin to go up, which I don't think a lot of people know. And it's certainly not talked about that much in the mainstream. And so that's why, in my opinion, it's best not to think about as carbs as the sole driver of insulin. I think it's better to think about it as quantity drives mm-hmm. insulin. And when I say quantity, I mean all the calories, all the macros coming into play. And that includes fat. So fat's another one where fat doesn't increase blood sugar, but the downstream effects of having too much fat is that it starts to um, get implicated in um, insulin signaling. And so we find that too much fat can increase insulin resistance as well. So it's best not to focus on any single meal or any single food pairing and its single effect on insulin and start focusing on at the smallest level, what are the total calories I eat every day? But more so, what are the total calories I eat across all days, weeks, and months? Um, And I think we touched on this a little bit in Adrian's podcast, which I'll put in the show notes. But I do think it would be great for your own sanity to just unfollow anybody who talks about food combining rules or insulin spikes from a single meal. Honestly, a few wrong clicks on social media can like send you down a rabbit hole for the rest of your life. So mm. just get yourself out of there. Now, if somebody does have excess weight or weight to lose, they are potentially having too much insulin and too often. And what's better to look at that a single spike in a meal would be look at something like their fasting blood sugar or their HGA1C. Those are going to take a more comprehensive look at the long term instead of individually what's happening kind of hour by hour. All right. Last question we've got is from Carrick. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, He or she says, I'd love more tips on how to get more protein besides protein powders. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two kind of tips that are a little bit underutilized for this never ending quest for more protein, it seems. Um, the first is just increase the serving sizes of the protein foods that you're already eating. Um, I think a lot of times when people think about, Oh gosh, I need more protein. The first thought is now I have to find six new foods to like, or to eat or to prepare, which you can, of course, that is one option, but I do think that's a little bit harder of a sell because maybe you're not eating meat for ethical reasons or you're not eating seafood because you hate to prepare it. So trying to expand to options that you already kind of have excluded Mm -hmm. might never happen or might just be a really um, hard habit to create. So for me, it's like, okay, well, let's start where we are. Maybe I'm having two eggs at breakfast, so I'm going to make it three and add some egg whites as well. Or maybe I'm having three ounces of chicken, I'll go to four, I'll go to five. Or maybe I'm having a glass of milk, I'll have I'll go to two, you know, find the item in the meal that is your protein food and just increase the serving size of it. I think that's the best first step. The second one that I really like is to plan your meal around protein. Of course, you know, with my bias towards the 800 gram challenge, I'd say plan the meal around your fruits and veggies and protein. But assuming that you've already got the fruits and veggies um, dialed, your next thing is to focus on, okay, I need 30 grams of protein at most of my main meals. It might be higher for other people, but a lot of people struggling for protein are kind of around this 30, 30-ish grams per meal. Okay, so you need to kind of make the meal have 30 grams of protein before you eat other things. Like what's going to be on the plate that's 30 grams of protein and then add the other things. And I also think it's important to point that out that this 
includes breakfast. So when I talk mm-hmm. about planning your meals with protein, it includes breakfast. You know, so often it's um, breakfast is like, you know, the classic five, 10 grams of protein in some carbohydrate roll or something like that. And then all yeah. of a sudden you don't realize why you can never hit your protein target. It's like, well, yeah, we got to make sure that we're having a good whack of protein at breakfast. Um, and I think, I think those tips are really the first two that I would start with. You might end up finding that the protein sources that you like or are already using aren't really protein sources and unrealistic, like to get 30 grams of protein from peanut butter, I think you'd be close to nine tablespoons or something. So <laughs> you might realize that, okay, the, the protein sources I like aren't really realistic, but I think for a lot of people, those can go a long way. Um, and yeah, obviously then would be the next one is to start to branch out to other protein options and sources. And I do think that even just one or two can make a a big change. Like I recently have gotten back into tuna, which I've never really Mm -hmm. been a big fan, but they've got those packets that are already flavored and stuff like that. And even just having one more quick protein option can really add a nice variety as well. So think about different cuts, think about different meats, think about all the different dairy options. There's probably one or two out there that would be my next suggestion to go to. Yeah, I second the tuna. I second the tuna fish. It's if for no other reason that it's the simplest. Yeah, obviously you got to like it, but like if that was if if you like it, it's such an easy and quick lunch, and it's hard to hard to make an excuse of like oh I don't have time to make that. Like you open it up, you <laughs> like it's ready to. It's pretty much ready to go. I <laughs> so love I the like that. the buffalo flavored one. It's I haven't so tried awesome. the flavored ones. I yeah, to look for those. Totally. All right, my friend. Thank you. Five questions in, I think we did a good job on the timing. Oh, cool. uh, five, five questions in five five minutes each. Good. All about them on protein. Uh, as a reminder, if you want to get a question into the queue for a future Quick Bites or perhaps a future episode itself, optimizemenutrition.com slash email. Get the emails, re- read the emails, respond to the emails with questions and EC will get it into her uh, onto her list. Yes. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Just a reminder, if you're not yet subscribed or following wherever you are listening to this, please do. That will ensure you don't miss another episode. EC and I will be back next week for another episode of the Consistency Project. <laughs>